Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show this week, it's a BPG special as the Broadcasting Press Guild celebrates 50 years of service. Uh, We bring together two board members to discuss the future of the sector. Also on the program, all three media finally gets bought. Why does Jeff Zucker want to purchase it for his UAE-based media empire? All that, plus we look at why the current affairs magazines are all having a bit of a blip. And in the media quiz, we manifest the media headlines of the future. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, Dan Wooden has been cleared of alleged criminal behaviour after the Met Police ended a six-month investigation into the former GB News presenter. Wooden put out a statement saying the investigations into his private life had been a politically motivated witch hunt through the left wing and social media. Uh, The Independent newspaper is in talks to pick up BuzzFeed and HuffPost in the UK and Ireland, according to The Guardian. BuzzFeed founder and CEO Jonah Peretti told UK staff of his excitement about the partnership we are exploring with the Independent. And it's farewell then to Keith from The Office. Actor Ewan McIntosh died this week. He was 50 years old. Tributes were led by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. Gervais calling him an absolute original. Uh, Now joining me at the London Podcast Studios are two guest pundits that have one thing in common. Well, maybe more than one thing uh, we'll find out, but they're both members of the Broadcasting Press Guild who celebrate their 50th year in 2024. Uh, And making her media podcast debut, it's Caroline Frost, columnist at the Radio Times. Hello. Hello. Um, So uh, outside of the day job, board member uh, of the Guild, and it's been quite a busy time. Yes, it has. It's been a time for looking forward. We have a brand new chair, Minori. And we are also looking backwards because we're celebrating our half century, (laughs) 50 years of broadcasting press coming together, talking about the best of TV and radio. So this is a year for celebrating all that's new, all that's come our way in 2023, but also really very much doffing our cap to all those years and years of entertainment. And there's going to be a big list. Yes, there is. This is our special um, award for our 50th anniversary. We are looking back over those past 50 years. We've invited all our Guild members to mark up. I think we gave them the choice of about four landmark programmes during all of that time that really did make the difference to their lives and they thought shifted the wheel on broadcasting generally. And it has thrown up some extraordinarily diverse titles. What we've learned is that lots of people (laughs) have very strong and very different opinions about what makes good TV and radio. Well, this is the first year that uh, I've been able to participate. Mm. Um, And it is, there's some interesting 
names on there and they're from quite different parts of the TV spectrum. So it's quite hard to compare. It's apples and pears. Mm. Did you go down a comedic line or a documentary line or entertainment or big budget drama? Which which took you? I try to pick things which had sort of real impact on me and the sector. This is lovely. This is honey to our ears. <laughs> this is so involved. I'm really appreciating the investment. And I just wish all our guild members, and I'm sure they are, are just as invested in the outcome as you are. So, I'm sure they're also great t- example. We're TV fans. And also, welcome back down the line from a snowy Colorado uh, media writer and, yes, BPG board member Kate Bulkley. Hi, Kate. Hi, how are you? Very good, thank you. Um, it looks lovely in your backdrop. You definitely win the prize for the backdrop. So if, you, if you're listening to this on audio, do check us out our YouTube channel uh, so you can see the lovely vistas. Um, uh, the, the BPG, it's an interesting group of people, isn't it, who get to take part in, in these events? Yes, it's a big group of people. And in fact, the BPG has been going for quite a long time now. It started in 1974 as a breakaway body from the critic circle. Uh, And in the early days, we used to have our awards luncheon in a pub. Uh, We've now moved on a bit, and we (laughs) we now get a little more glamorous venues. But it's a a big group. It it goes up and down in terms of membership. But right now, we have over 110 members. Uh, These are all people that write or broadcast uh, about the media sector in the UK. So they could be program critics. They could be uh, business media writers. They are editors. And they cover the whole gamut of uh, the titles, you know, the big broadsheets. It's also some of the smaller um, trade publications, as well as some of the bigger trade publications like Variety and, and Deadline, uh, Hollywood Reporter. We also have The Telegraph, The Guardian, everyone really is part of the Guild, and which is what makes it so interesting because it's really across the board. And as you were saying, in terms of how we vote... Um, you know, journalists tend to be rather opinionated and they are all fans of television and audio. So we get lots of good opinions. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, well, lots of opinions uh, on today's show as well, I hope. Uh, lots of good stories. Um, BBC Director General Tim Davey has been in front of MPs this week. He told the Public Accounts Committee that he welcomes the licence fee settlement. Uh, Kate, was he right to do that? Well, uh, you know, he, I think he was right in the sense that that's, he sort of had to. Is this a government decree? to a certain extent, I mean, how much you're going to fight. I think the other thing that he pointed out, which I also agree with, is that at least he's got some kind of certainty for how much money the BBC gets for the next few years. In this current volatile media environment, I mean, the advertising market is really in its worst state since 2008. It's, you know, we're seeing job cuts across um, all media organizations, certainly broadcasting media organizations are under a lot of pressure. So I think, you know, the, the, if there's a silver lining to a, a lower settlement, it's the fact that, that at least there's some certainty over the next uh, four to six years. So that's that's the good news. Um, the bad news is obviously he didn't get a license fee increase by 15 pounds a year. He only got 10 pounds a year across the board. So he's got, you know, less uh, less millions, so to speak, to, to uh, work with. And he also realizes he has to cut some costs. I think they're looking to cut 500 million pounds, uh, so, which is, you know, a lot of money. And we're seeing a lot of the cuts already, certainly in their news output. Uh, they've had to merge their international and their uh, domestic news channels. 
Um, you've seen some cuts, for, for example, with Newsnight. Um, so there's, there are things like that that are going on that are obviously aren't good, but I guess the upside is at least they have some certainty. You look at what's happening at Channel 4, at Paramount, which is the owner of Channel 5. All these companies are having a lot of pressure, ITV, similar situation. I mean, uh, Caroline, Kate's right, isn't she? Uh, everyone's sort of facing the pinch, and, and maybe the BBC, who've, who've sort of been through the mill over the last 10 years, are in a relatively good position, so at least they know their money's kind of in the bank. I think the word that you used that was key there was relatively. So <laughs> for sure, I mean, I used to work at I used to work for the BBC for a long time many many of my friends would still work there across all sorts um, area, different areas of the ecosystem and each of them have independently said to me that theirs is the area that is receiving the most cuts right so that mm. tells you something about how broad the cull really is and how much of a difference it's making pretty dramatic for those individuals involved but as you say compared with that volatility as Kate said of the the independent sector and the commercial sector, it still represents a safe house mm. of some description. I mean, the money's little, but it's secured. It's a bit like taking your bets with a with a tracker mortgage or a fixed yes. rate, isn't it? I mean, I guess everybody will have a different sensibility. But for sure, I mean, such depressing news coming out at the beginning of the year about Channel 4 after all its roller coaster ride of the last two years. I would still, if I were starting out as, a, as it's some sort of newbie, I mean, only a few years ago, obviously. Hmm. Um, I would still want to go and try my luck at the BBC because the training is still there. Some of the things that we hold dear exist, but clearly they're under under threat. I, I feel like instinctively I trust him, Davey. He's put a good spin hmm. on something. He said he's pleased about something that he fought desperately only a few months previously, but at least they go into the future knowing what the purse looks like. Uh, they do. And Kate, obviously massive impact because of the commissioning downturn on individuals, uh, on freelancers in the sector, on small production companies. Um, lot, lots of talk about people who can sort of jumping into the film world where there seems to be uh, a bit more work available. Um, is that something you're, you're hearing is happening more? So what's interesting about this, uh, Matt, is that you know, only, a, only a few years ago we were talking about peak TV and premium television. And the idea was that anyone who was anybody, whether you were an actor or a grip or a director or a producer or a writer, were all diving into television because, of course, the money was all being spent in television. You had Netflix pouring billions into it. You had uh, Prime you had everybody who, from the, so let's say, more legacy media companies, be it the BBC or ITV, realizing they had to up their game in order to get talent, to get stuff on screen. Now we're seeing that, you know, obviously there's, a, a, let's say, a different focus among the streaming media companies, uh, including the big tech companies, because they realize they have to just not just throw money at the screen to make it work. They actually have to have some kind of profit or think about not just gaining new subscribers, but what are they actually making on the other end. So there's been a lot more focus, not only from the big tech companies, but also from the legacy media companies. You know, we've seen a lot of mergers going on, uh, and that has to do with the fact that they're trying to think, how can we make a critical mass that will make this new streaming business uh, work uh, economically. So are people starting to go back to film? Yes and no. I mean, film is also a difficult environment as well. I mean, look at how, how many people are going to movie theaters. We're still seeing a lot of, you know, we a lot of money spent at the top end of films, sort of these big budget franchises, you know, the Marvel, yet another Marvel film. Uh, and then we have stuff at the low end. The middle part of the film business is still 
you know, having a really hard time because it's like, where do you put your stuff? How, where do you get your talent? How do you get it out there? So I don't, I don't think, I don't think either one is um, is better than the other right now. I mean, I think that we're seeing a little bit more of a recalibration, if I can say that, in terms of it's not just everybody bouncing into uh, prime, you know, premium television, but we're also it's not getting so much so much better in film. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So yes, we're we're starting to see a little bit of a recalibration, but. Both are under pressure, but we still need good content to make these services work. So we're still going to see a lot of um, content commission, just maybe not as much and certainly maybe not as big budget. Carolyn? Mm, I think it's quite revealing just how many what we used to consider big screen film stars mm. are continuing their exodus to the small screen and I think it is finding that that middle area that Kate identified because Marvel up on the big screen big indie film sector both very healthy thriving perhaps Marvel with a few asterisks and caveats <laughs> in recent times but in terms of the storytelling the character led dramas I'm thinking of the likes of Nicole Kidman I'm thinking of Meryl Streep I'm thinking of Steve Martin all finding homes on streaming platforms particularly. There's money and they're giving them creative control. Well, they're, they're partnering with production companies. And then you get somebody like Martin Scorsese who's despairing of the way the film world has gone. He's one of the great titans over the last, mm. what, 30, 40 years. And even he, when he brings his offerings first for first refusal, first dibs from the likes of Netflix, Apple, then you know that something something really quite sh defining is shifting. I've just been watching Jodie Foster in um, True There's, Detective. She, that, so the last time she was on a TV show was in the 1970s. Yeah, so nearly 50 years since she's done, done TV. Still fantastic. Um, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing series, uh, nice, and, nice and spooky uh, as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it does show, doesn't it? There's that... Uh, it's and perhaps it's the streamers that have encouraged this is what is film what is television whether you're working behind the scenes or in front of the camera it's far less split than it's, oh, it's ever it's, been before it's morphed hasn't it I mean this word content that used to be a swear word mm. in these parts is now pretty much the only accurate way of describing what we're seeing and particularly the way things are first they get this tiny tiny theatrical window to qualify for awards <laughs> but then really it's all about the streaming platforms and the, the big numbers of eyeballs that you can get on your product the other swear word. Well, speaking of content, uh, the BBC's head of unscripted programmes, Kate Phillips, spoke to Broadcast this week. Uh, her mantra, uh, which has often been heard, uh, is fewer, bigger, better. Uh, Caroline, do you know how that's going to manifest itself? Well, I guess... Does she mean another series of Survivor? <laughs> Probably not. Bated breath. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, if you look at some of the, the ways that the money has been spent in recent times, we're seeing a bit more of the Gladiator type mm -hmm. show and a bit less of the Greg Wallace in the hairnet variety. So I guess that is definitely bigger. I don't know if it's better. See Survivor, see if it comes back. Uh, she said that there is still room for the smaller products, but she also highlighted the fact that she's really enjoying so many shows making their big break, their debut in daytime. And I guess that's the kind of the shallow end of the swimming pool. Mm. Throw it up the flagpole in daytime, see if it grabs an audience as we saw so happened so successfully with the likes of The Repair Shop. Yes. And then perhaps with an idea to moving it into evening viewing. I mean, she's had quite a good run recently, hasn't she? She has had a good run, and in two very different ways. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking of something the size, the epic nature of Gladiators, mm. which is an unashamed reboot, 
but has found an audience at the weekend, mm. getting harder and harder to and find a family those audience, audiences. A real sort of strictly oh, style bit of everyone. This is the holy mm. grail. This is what everyone wants to know. How is the BBC going to follow Strictly? And perhaps Gladiators has given it something of an answer. But then equally, you get uh, a talent like Stacey Solomon, mm. who has emerged from reality show background into the loose woman avenue of develop- character development and now has found her own space. So uh, I think uh, that there is definitely room in that sphere for big and for small, and that's clearly very encouraging. Uh, Kate, I mean, some smaller indies have taken the BBC to task for kind of recommissioning old formats like Gladiators. Is that fair criticism? Well, you know, I think we've got a lot of noise out there in the media landscape right now, Matt. So if you're a broadcaster and you're trying to get attention, if you can find a franchise that works, you're going to lean into it. I mean, that's just that's just economics. Um, So, yeah, maybe, you know, if you're an independent producer and you've got one of those franchises, you say, yes, fantastic. If you don't have one, (laughs) then you might be not so happy about that. as what Caroline just said, you know, how many reboots can we take of things? But on the other hand, sometimes we come up with something that's completely, you think, really? Is this really that different? And yet The Traders is a good example. I mean, that's a factual entertainment show. But I mean, you know, who knew there was going to be another big factual entertainment show? And yet they, they, they've managed to make it look different, feel different, have a different, you know, whatever vibe. And so it's a great franchise. So I think that, you know, you, it's... You can't sort of say, well, it's terrible that they're looking for franchises because that's the way you have to make the economics work. You need a couple of those at least to make things work. You need, you need a Strictly, you need a Bake Off, you need a, you need a Traders, you need something to, to sort of get, get the audience and, and have it. It's like a tentpole. It's a tentpole show that's going to give your, your, um, your service or your, your channel some kind of, I don't know, currency. I mean, Caroline, sort of attention's important, isn't it? It is, but despite the the familiarity of a reboot, it's still no guarantee. So Mm, yes, so Gladiators, fantastic, whole new faces, familiar but exotic and different. (laughs) Survivor has not found that same purchase. And that, in theory, on a piece of paper, would seem to tick very similar boxes. I mean, Survivor's just, it's had a lot of success around the world. UK's had a couple of goes at it. Mm -hmm. I'm a Celebrity is similar. They were sued by them right right at the beginning. It's weird. It just hasn't really taken. This is why you just don't know nothing as they say <laughs> i mean as kate said who knew that traitors would take off but it has they're now mm. planning a celebrity version later in the year i mean yet to be commissioned they've been quick to say <laughs> but i think we know that that oh, will come guaranteed isn't i it? mean perhaps what that's what they need to do make a celebrity edition of survivor i mean there are a few people i can think that i'd quite like to send to a desert <laughs> island but um you just don't know which is why when they do land on something and it does well. You can see why they iterate, mm. I mean, until they're blue in the face and they sort of squeeze. To my mind, I always get a bit depressed when I see one iteration too many of a, of a successful franchise. I'm thinking of the likes, you know, the Bake Offs. We've had the celebrity version. We had the junior version. And you do feel as mm. though the orange has been squeezed dry. And then it's into sewing and it's sort of similar, similar topics. Well, it? that's all. I mean, I would call that the whole era of kindness. And it's yes. quite interesting that we had something like Bake Off turned up and sort of swept away kitchen nightmares x factor Mm. all that kind of elbows out gladiatorial combat in primetime tv and then you had this kind era of 
the sewing bee, the embroideries, the baking. And now, of course, we, we see that The Apprentice is finding a whole new audience, which means perhaps we're, we're ready for a bit more elbows out. The pendulum swings backs and forwards. It does. That? Even something like Traitors, uh, OK, it's got more of an edge, but it's a game and it's the, the stakes are, are lower for everybody. It's not as mean as some of the reality TV was in the early noughties. I think it's reassuringly meaningless frankly isn't it i mean (laughs) what does it come down to Mm. yes there's a little pot of gold at the end of the show but frankly it's just about what is it it's wink murder isn't it it? by any other name i don't know if you've seen the australian version yes the uk version yes so for for listeners at home and same if if kate you've seen that but the, the australian version it's a bit more like The Apprentice. The, the characters sort of come on going, I'm the best, I'm going to find who these people are. Whereas in the UK, it's very much, I'm having a lovely time, you're all <laughs> my friends. And it's interesting how you can reinterpret a format in those two different ways. Yes, the Australian one has not been as successful to mm. anything like the extent that the UK one has enjoyed. So, And they're actually, a bunch of people in Australia have picked up and they are now watching Traitors UK mm. in the way that many people in the UK really enjoy MasterChef Australia. Yes. So the good news is horses for courses. I mean, Kate, that's interesting, isn't it, about sort of repurposing formats. So last 50 years, TV companies have pretended that shows are their own when really they've been imported in from somewhere, even for sort of University Challenge uh, way back when. Um, whereas now, if you love something, you can consume it all. Uh, and I'm thinking of uh, some of the drag race stuff or, or, or things like the Traitors. Well, it's true. I, you know, having grown up in America and then moved to uh, Britain 35 years ago, uh, I, so many of my American friends say, oh, yes, you know, this show was invented here. And of course, it's a UK format that's just been formatted for the US market. And they have no idea that it came originally from the, from the UK. And now, of course, with, well, of course, with streaming and global distribution much easier now, uh, they will sometimes now watch the original show and think, oh, isn't that nice? The UK have made a show based on the US show. Like, no, 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 this is the original. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's um, definitely a, more of a global marketplace. That is for sure. Well, speaking of formats, um, uh, the news broke last Friday that all three media, uh, somebody who's very much in the format world, has been bought by Redbird IMI. That's the same group who might acquire the Telegraph group uh, for about a billion quid. Um, Kate, they've been up for sale for a while. It's they're, they're a big company. This is a pretty big deal. Oh, it's a very big deal. And in fact, um, I wrote wrote about it a couple of times last year, sort of saying, okay, what is going to happen? Because the ITV, for example, was one of the early bidders. They came in with, I think it was about $750 million they wanted to pay for it and were turned flatly down. Um, and then, of course, Redbird came in, Redbird IMI, and they agreed a deal for sort of $1.2 billion. Uh, it's interesting because Redbird is on a, a acquisition spree. Uh, it's an interesting company. It's got Jeff Zucker, who of course came from CNN and um, NBC Universal. He's teamed up with uh, another fellow who's from the television business, and the money is coming from Abu Dhabi um, International Media Investments. Uh, basically, it's. It's a way. They're what I, it's called a roll-up in the business in business world. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to buy a lot of independent production companies, companies that own formats or were making cool things. They bought uh, Media Res, for example. Um, so it's it's it doesn't surprise me this is happening. It sort of surprised me that actually um, 
Discovery and Liberty sold it for $1.2 billion. I mean, I think they could have waited and gotten a higher price, in my opinion. Because um, it is a big company, and they've got all kinds of stuff. I mean, everything from, you know, Studio Lambert, which, of course, produces all kinds of things, including Squid Game, which is um, obviously a big show. Uh, they own Two Brothers Pictures. They own Silverback Films. They, I mean, they've, you know, they just, it's a huge warehouse of uh independent production companies that produce programs that work all around the world. So it's an interesting thing. I I think, uh, I don't think we're going to see less of this. I think we're going to see more acquisitions. It's just a question of who's going to be doing the acquiring. And obviously when you've got a Redbird IMI, which has, let us say, an endless bank account because they've got such big backers, I mean, it's a very interesting moment for the television business to see who are going to be hoovering these things up. It's not necessarily going to be the Hollywood studios. Right. It's going to be these these outside groups that are being formed to do something different. So just on that, why why is it that sort of cash is coming in to do this rather than it going to uh, a traditional content company or a platform? People who want to fill up, you would have thought want to fill up their streaming services with with new content. Yeah, I think they do. Um, I think that I have a view on this. I think that there are some people that believe that the, the, the way to make a profitable media business going forward is to own, be vertically integrated, to own the platform that distributes the content and to also own the, own the content itself. And that's called a vertically integrated model. There's another school of thought that, that maybe you want to just own one thing. So you want to be a content creator, producer, owner, and then you sell to these platforms. That's that's more of a single line of business, you see what I mean? And then there's the other so, so and then there's the other line of business which I don't think works at all is where you're just a platform and you don't actually own content and you don't own content creation. So there's sort of three ways to look at what's the best model going forward. And I think we're in a in a time now where everyone's trying to readjust their thinking about what works. We went through an era where everybody thought vertical integration was the way to go. I think we're now beginning to see that perhaps owning both the content and the platform doesn't necessarily work. So it's expensive, it's risky, maybe it's better to be a platform only, maybe it's better to be a content producer only. So I think that's what we're starting to see, uh, a distinction in what, what actually works economically. Because the numbers are so high and the competition is so intense and we're dealing with what I call big tech. You know, we've got the big global tech platforms. And I mean, Amazon, I mean, um, you know, Netflix, I mean, you know, these, these companies who have deep pockets, and they are throwing money at video content in order to make their streaming services work. And yet they're part of bigger operations. So they don't have to have the same kind of economic, let's say, um, dollars and cents uh, that say a Warner Brothers Discovery has to. That's the other thing that's happening. We're going to see more roll-ups between the streaming platforms and the legacy media sector. We know that already there's huge rumors that Paramount's on the block and will get hoovered up by, either split up and hoovered up by different people or become part of another media conglomerate. So I think it, you know it's all about you know what is going to work economically going forward in this very difficult time. Advertising's down, subs- subscriptions are up, IP streaming is there, but how many subscriptions are people going to want? I mean, it's a very interesting moment in the media business. There's a lot of demand, and yet there's so much supply. How do you stand out? Caroline, I was sort of trying to trace back all three, and it sort of goes back to Chrysalis TV. And, you know, it's, is it good that money's coming in to 
to fund organisations that, that are based here quite a lot or is it bad news that we're losing the ownership of it? I think it's great news if you're in production. <laughs> yep. As we've heard for the last couple of years, we've seen the huge spend from Disney, from Warner Brothers. I mean, studios are being mm. built to just accommodate all this massive development. Um, it's interesting listening to what Kate had to say because I was reminded of when Reed Hastings spoke at the TV festival a couple of years ago and Kirsty Walt put him on the spot and she reminded him as the CEO of Netflix that if you're not looking at the menu, you're probably on the menu. <laughs> now, of course, you look at something like Netflix and for the past decade, they seem to have had money to burn. And of course, they pioneered their original content mm. with the likes of House of Cards, Orange is the New But Black. a lot of that was being scared isn't it, of suddenly people stopping selling them things. And as came to pass mm. with the likes of the Friends Mm. Um, enormous renaissance never ending <laughs> audience of friends disappearing because Warner Brothers everybody else started getting their act together and developing their own streaming platforms but then you look at the pie of actual available production and development money and Netflix is dwarfed it's a little sliver of cake compared with as Kate mentioned the likes of Apple and the big the big whopper is Amazon mm. and so I can see why people would just think let's just let's just marry up because it's the only way to survive in those whale infested waters. Whilst we look at the whales, uh, we'll be back uh, for more media news after this. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back. Kate and Caroline are here for some more news in brief. Uh, there's been a wobble in the current affairs magazine market, according to the latest ABCs. Uh, Caroline, we've seen drops for Private Eye, The Economist, The Week, Prospect. A lot of these titles have often defied the print narrative. What's been happening? Well, let's just take Private Eye, mm. one of the great rediscovered success stories of lockdown. 
I yes. think anecdotally lots of people continued uh, lots of people took out subscriptions because they were stuck at home and Private Eye was a little bit of I guess relief yeah. in that strange era but yes um, I mean it's still doing well you know still up in the hundreds of thousands which is nothing to complain about in this era but as you say all taking a dip I would just posit cost of living I think it's a luxury that some people when they're looking at their household bills just think do I really need a current affairs magazine when I can get all my news for free from so many different sources there is a thing with subscriptions you you think about your magazine subscription the same way as a tv subscription we were going through our subscriptions at home recently and we've got like a meal box uh, Mm -hmm. service and you sort of put them all in the same in the same bunch don't you that's that's very decadent in this day it, and it, age. It's the cheap a one. Meal it, box. It, simply cook. It's tether tether a month. It's excellent. Okay, um, but but you sort of yes, everything's sort of swappable, isn't it? It it is, I guess. Um, but as I say, when you have free alternatives, mm. I mean, nothing like the quality of each of those. And there's a reason that their print numbers um, perhaps are going down, but their digital subscriptions, as we'll get onto, are going up. Is because it's part of a controlled migration. So some of the the digital figures will be the relief and also the plan for numbers that all of those publishers are hoping for. But I do think it's a sad day. I mean, the day we've seen so many magazines go the way of digital we saw the likes of nme moving yeah. from weekly to sort of less regularly to then next thing you know will be a digital offering only and of course those of us who remember the sweet smell <laughs> of a new magazine plopping through the letterbox jackie i mean what's happened to jackie <laughs> uh it's it's a sad day but i think uh, as long as those who have successfully migrated, I don't think they have anything to fear. It's the ones who haven't played catch up and are perhaps having to try. And uh, because I think that we have reached peak digital subscription mm. as well. Uh, Kate, is this also connected to how people feel about the news? Uh, are we in a sort of slight interregnum before we hit uh, election fever and people are, are wanting to opt out of the news? Ooh, people ha- wanting to opt out of the news. God, I hope not. Good heavens, we need them to be reading more news, not opting out. Um, I, I think my my opinion would be a little bit like what Caroline's saying. I'm, the migration from a printed magazine or newspaper to a print to a, a digital magazine or newspaper is inevitable, and it's inevitable because of the cost of per, you know producing these printed editions. It just doesn't make any sense anymore. And the and the the magazines that have done the best, of course, are The Economist, um, has a huge amount of digital subscriptions. They have a paywall and they're making a lot of money. In fact, they're always held up as kind of the uh, poster child for how you do it right um, if you do a, a, a digital version. Um, but yeah, it's like what Caroline says. Some of them don't make it because they either don't figure it out quick enough or they don't know how to make the digital thing work or they don't know how to you know, migrate their their consumers to the digital version. You've got to remember that this is a huge shift for the media business, having to actually know who your readers are and your subscribers are. In the old days, you sort of put your newspaper out in a newsstand. You didn't know who was buying it. You just knew that they were going to read the ads. and So you were really talking more to your ad people than you were to your consumers, your end consumers. This is a very different game. You have to know who your consumers are, when they want to see or read you, you know, where they're going to find you, all that kind of stuff. So it's a very different world that we're, we're looking at here. And I hope that they're all reading something uh, online or otherwise, because if they don't, then uh, democracy's in peril. That would be my 
my bottom line on that. I mean, Caroline, uh, Kate mentioned The Economist there and digital sales are up for The Economist. Is that just because they know who their audience is uh, and a product they're delivering and it works well in the digital realm? I think that there are fewer competitors. They're completely specialists. They're regarded as the market leaders. They are the experts of their their content, of their sector. And I think perhaps it's one of those lucky stars that if you were looking, if you are, if I were, I will never be <laughs> a financial economist in any sense, but if I were, and I thought, well, it becomes, if I, it's almost as though I wouldn't be able to do that job without taking that particular title. They, they're lucky, they've, they've secured that position through many, many years of graft, of mm. building their brand. Investment. A total investment. And of course, with the advertising that they get at that high end and that sector, they probably have a little bit more disposable income to turn it around and to continue to invest. So they will only carry on winning, I would predict. Whereas, I mean, I wouldn't want to be a financial magazine starting up in this day and age, unless you go only digital and you create something mm. completely different. Something bespoke, and did you ever think you're going to jack in the Radio Times, just go all Substack, and just make all the make all your readers pay for you? Oh, do you know if there was a brief window? <laughs> I think when I had to um, sort out my own freehold mortgage and I became for a whole week a complete expert in all things freehold and I thought oh, I could do this and then of course everything just fell out the back and was replaced with more important things like TV shows once yes. again uh, Some changes to the radio schedules are coming. Radio 1 announced that Jordan North would be replaced by Jamie Lang uh, which hasn't gone down well in some radio circles and North is off to do Capital Radio's breakfast show uh, replacing Roman Kemp. Um, Jamie Lang interesting character Caroline has actually done radio for quite a long time. I, I saw it pop up. A friend posted about him uh, sort of starting off in heat radio about 10 years ago. Why has he caused so much consternation? Oh, I just think poor old Jamie Lang. Everything just comes a little bit too easily in sense of he is the McVitie's heir. I mean, he will never be short of money or biscuits. Mm. But uh, we know that he was in Strictly until he lasted, what, the whole launch show and broke his leg. So I don't think things come as easily for him as perhaps it would appear. Hmm. Um, there has been a bit of backlash anecdotally I've seen in recent weeks about reality stars taking on the airwaves generally. I think those days of the regional jocks yes. doing their time, doing the graveyard shifts, turning up week after week for that hard-working but rewardless midnight to 4am graveyard shift. Those days appear to be uh, no self-respecting <laughs> agent wants to present that to their reality star, who of course already has millions of followers who can kind of name their price. And so instead they kind of slip into these roles because they bring, in theory, a big audience. But the purists had just take truck yes, with this. Yes, I mean, Caroline, it's interesting. Both Jamie and Jordan have two very successful podcasts obviously separately um, and they both want to be on big mainstream radio stations uh, is that cash uh, is that there is still it's still shiny enough that they want to spend their time there bit of kudos yeah bit of future proofing is interesting isn't it because I can remember Jimmy Mulville making this point in a different world about BBC Three mm. and when the BBC made that big decision to move BBC Three to online and Jimmy Mulville said, you're kidding yourself. All the YouTube stars, they want to be on primetime television. And of course, uh, not so much these days, but I think you're tapping into something there. I 
there is just something. I guess they grew up with it. Mm. Perhaps they're satisfying their 12-year-old, perhaps even younger, eight-year-old selves, thinking I made it to the Radio 1 breakfast show. Yeah. You can I explain mean, to your mum what you're doing now. It's still hallowed <laughs> turf. It's still, mm. I know the numbers are falling away as audiences are migrating to, as Kate said, podcasts pretty much above anything else but there is still a kudos there is a name recognition it it means that you're in the car on the way to school it means you're reaching your those parents as well as the youngsters and I guess it kind of um it means it gives you a bit of versatility as an individual for then going off in different directions mm. because pop is a young man and woman's game yes so I think both I was looking at the figures and whether it's the radio one drive time show or the capital breakfast show it's about two and a half million listeners a week so not to be sniffed at um, and uh, sort of so- solid numbers potentially very lucrative when I looked at what had happened Jordan disappeared quite quickly from yes. Radio 1 which is unusual for the BBC very usual for commercial radio um, so I think we'll find out maybe a little bit later on what happened there. I mean, it's never nice if one of your big stars uh, ups and leaves. But is that the BBC's job to go and find the next Jordan North? I think the BBC, I would love the BBC to be less enthralled to the inverted commas, very inverted, big names, talent, and with that, big salaries. I do think that it's the BBC's job to basically emulate that great producer Biddy Baxter and to create stars Mm. out of frankly nobodies to look for skill sets to look for unknowns and to say come and do television but But is is that harder to do now than it used to be I imagine it is but also there's a lot more YouTube Mm. to dig around in I mean if you're effectively a football scout there's a whole ton more country league games to go and inspect and to find your next Jordan North. I mean, yes, he then goes off. Capital Radio has to pay him. Mm. Fine. Gary Lineker one day (laughs) may succumb to the lure of commercial television. And And everyone and BBC would breathe a sigh of relief uh, should he do that. Well, think how many little mini Gary Linekers mm. could be paid for uh, with that cash. That, I'm quite worried now about the, 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 the vision mini of Gary's. Mini, mini Gary Linekers. Um, and on Roman Kemp, he's sort of leaving Capital uh, for what we expect is a, a TV career. He's been doing kind of so. the one show. Where do you think he's off to next? What what big idea do you think they've got well, for Roman? Well, I'm sure that it hasn't escaped his agent's notice that Ben Shepherd recently vacated his chair on Good Morning Britain to oh, join this morning. So there's one low-hanging fruit right there. I'm, I'm sure, I, could, I think I can hear them discussing it in the <laughs> Ivy as we speak. But clearly, or at least the musical chairs. I mean, Roman Kemp, look, he's, he's comes from sort of pop royalty. Mm. George Michael was his godfather. He has two pop stars for parents. He's done great great work at Capital Radio in terms of building the show's profile and his own he's made documentaries it's there for the taking isn't it he can pretty much do what he wants we will see uh, what he does Uh, also the interesting thing about Roman uh, because his uh, godfather was George Michael um, he gets some of the royalties for a couple of George's big hits amazing uh, which gives him huge flexibility with what he wants to choose to do Uh, okay Andrew Ridgely co-wrote Careless Whisper apparently Uh, Right, time for the media quiz. This week entitled Manifesting. It's all the rage these days and we at the Media Podcast are no strangers to jumping on the bandwagon. So can you decipher the media manifestations from these cryptic clues? Uh, So what I mean is, guess the media story from what's been put in my script. Uh, Buzz in with your names if you know the answer. So Kate, Kate, you'll say... Good. And Caroline, you'll say... 
Caroline. Because of the delay on the line, Kate, uh, you will go on my first whistle, Caroline, on my second whistle. <laughs> Only joking. Lord God, he hit gag there. Right, so let's play uh, Manifesting. Uh, buzz in with your name if you think you know. Uh, why might the revolving restaurant turn again? Caroline. Caroline. I'm being polite in case of the lag. That's good. Go for it. Thank you. Well, this is about the BT Tower, which has been sold, well, has been agreed to be sold for, get this, £275 million to MCR Hotels. Uh, They plan to turn it into a prestige hotel, which will bring to an end one incredibly long celebrated era where what was it first the post office tower yes and then for many years, tower. yes mm. um bt tower i hope that it still satisfies some certain city of london requirements to do things with its light shows when something special mm. turns up my parents actually went on their very first date to the bt tower for the revolving restaurant mm. my father used to make great weather out of uh, the fact that he went with one woman but the floor turned around and he turned around there was my mother <laughs> i don't know how true that was but it's a great yes, story thank you so question number two how did a local bbc weather presenter become a party pooper Caroline? Caroline. Um, Shall I take this one? I feel like I should because this is actually my story from Deadline, (laughs) um, which is that uh, Causa Quema, who is one of BBC Northwest's weather presenters, so clearly very able at her job, but Mm. um, no problem there. And then she got caught up in one of those, oh, the cringe, those spontaneous chats (laughs) to fill a couple of seconds before the end credits. And the host, Annabelle Tiffin, made the nice uh, inquiry, what are you doing this weekend? And she, off the top of her head, mentioned that she was going to her niece's surprise birthday party. And of course... It wasn't a surprise anymore yes. because she was broadcasting to the region. It was It was clearly a, we've got 12 seconds to fill before Very we have to hop back so. in. Yes, and I think um, there were 12 seconds that she should she i think they were 12 seconds that she wished she could go yes. back up uh heartening that in this fragmented media age we can still ruin children's birthday parties so maybe it's not all bad news <laughs> um uh, so congratulations caroline uh, new people to the media podcast do very well on the quiz so from a beginner's luck perspective uh well done um see if you can do it next time uh, when hopefully we'll have you back and a special prize uh, you can uh, help radio one find next new talent oh thanks uh, excellent uh, that's it today from the London Podcast Studios, except of course that we have a fantastic offer for you. Uh, We can offer 25% off your first booking here at the London Podcast Studios when you use the code MEDIAPOD. Just head to thelondonpodcaststudios.com for 25% off with the code MEDIAPOD. Uh, If you're new to the show, make sure you've hit follow on your podcast app of choice uh, or hit subscribe on our YouTube channel. Uh, My name's Matt Deegan. The producer was Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production. I'll see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.